Brothers of the plow, the power is with you. The world in expectation waits for action prompt and true. Oppression stalks abroad, monopolies abound. Their giant hands already clutch the tillers of the ground. Awake then, awake, the great world must be fed. And heaven gives the power to the hand that holds the bread. Yes, brothers of the plow. Well, hello and welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. Um, and um, today I'm going to uh, finish up my my work on Mark Twain. Um, I might come back to Mark Twain in a, in a while, um, looking at the shorter writings, shorter fiction, sort of nonfiction. The Library of America actually has two volumes of his other writings. Um, I'm not going to look at those now. I think I've covered enough of, of my thoughts on, on Mark Twain. And obviously he's great. And um, there's a lot that can be said about him. But, you know, if you if you dwell too long with one, one writer, it gets uh, sometimes a little rough. And, um, and that's just the way it is. So um, looking ahead, uh, like I said before, I'm going to go and, and explore some black writers for a while. Um, probably do some slave narratives, then uh, do Richard Wright and maybe Black Reconstruction in America. Um, and then move on to talk about some 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 women writers again. So that, that's like the next six months or so. I imagine um, at least once we get to the end of the summer. I don't know how much recording I'm going to do over the summer, um, but I'll probably be back to recording my normal pace in a month or so. So uh, I'm just going to finish up here uh, with a mysterious stranger. Um, so this is actually the version we have in the Library of America is was really hard for me to find like an audiobook version of. Um, there's four different versions, as I understand, and, and they were all published by the 1960s in one volume. So you can get the four different versions of it. Most uh, audiobook versions cover the one where the characters are straight up called Satan. Um, the version we have here is the longer version. I don't know why they picked this one because it seems to be the least commonly um, read. Maybe this is like the definitive one, the one that had Mark Twain lived a little bit longer. This is the version he would have published or wanted published. I don't know about that. Um, and this is called Number 44, The Mysterious Stranger. And here The Mysterious Stranger is is not referred to as Satan directly, even though he, he obviously is. Um, now, my understanding also is that these are all a little bit different, uh, slightly different approaches. Like one's actually presented as a, as a, like a Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer novel called Schoolhouse Hill. Uh, so it's set in America. Um, and there, I think uh, Satan's referred to also as like number 44, new series, some number. Um, and that's set in St. Petersburg. He wrote uh, the so-called St. Petersburg Fragment, which I think was his first attempt on. And that's also set in um, in St. Petersburg. So uh, I don't I don't know if that one has Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn in it as well. Um, I think the most common version is the Chronicles of Young Satan. Um, 
which is set in the like an 18th century. Um, but it's also in an Austrian village. The version we have here is the full name is number 44, the mysterious stranger being an ancient tale found in a jug and freely translated from the jug. Um, and this one is set like in the 15th century in Austria. So now technology has a part in, in several of these stories, in several of these versions, it seems. And the Chronicles of Young Satan, technology plays a major role and it's more of the, like the Enlightenment era. Uh, number 44 of the Mysterious Stranger, the technology is like printing. Um, but we also have number 44 engaging in other like anachronistic technologies because he is kind of a supernatural being with, with godlike powers. Um, and now thematically i think these are all fairly similar in that they they deal with kind of human humanity's futi the futility of existence it's it's quite existential in that way um you know kind of i don't know it, it's kind of complex it, it's like there's a lot of philosophy going on in these books it seems to me and that's what makes it a little bit tough to talk about so anyways, basically, we're introduced to this, these young, our, our characters are young men again. So it, it's very much, it fits into the Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer kind of dynamic. We have characters that kind of match up with that. Um, I think in this version we have here, it's uh, like, you know, or like a, an organist. So again, technology kind of plays a role here. Um, and then anyways, this boy comes, who's Satan, uh, to the village. Um, and it, well, in this version, he's just called number 44. Or whatever very odd name very technic technological kind of name almost like he's version 44 almost like a robot um and then he's able to do various like abilities and uh you know invent various some technologies and, and do things that aren't aren't possible in in that world so anyways I, how should we talk about this so um, I think the most important thing to mention here, I guess, is that there are like radically different manuscript forms of that, right? So here we have what is possibly the most complete manuscript. It's the only one that actually has an ending, though. Maybe that's why it's picked. Um, it's very, very philosophical. Um, it's very much in line with some of Twain's later writings about human nature. If you do read like his his later writings, you have a lot of reflections on on human nature, uh, essentially the idea being human beings are kind of automata who receive their knowledge from the outside. And that, that's kind of explicitly told to us in this story. Um, and at times the writing here is even more nihilistic than that. Uh, right, to quote like, nothing exists, all is a dream, God, man, the world, the sun, the moon, the wilderness, the stars, a dream, a dream, all a dream. They have no existence. Nothing exists save empty space and you, um, end quote. And that's that's towards the end of of this particular version of of, of the book. Um, now, I don't know how I feel about this more cynical nature uh, of Mark Twain's like writings. I, I think we understand where it's coming from, and it's always sort of there. Like if we go back to even his earlier writings, his tendency to joke about death. That almost all of his books have like kind of a comedic aspect of just of death and, and kind of the meaningless of, of, of life is kind of there all along 
in a lot of his writings. But he also has the more optimistic tales, like like the Adventures of Falconberry Finn, where we see characters rise to to moral heights, even if it's a little bit undermined by the end of that story. That 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 achievement is well earned by our by our character. Um, so. Um, Anyways, the setting for this version is a print shop in an Austrian castle just a few decades after the invention of printing. So um, I, I do think technology and automation plays a role here, right? Because printing is a type of automation, right? Because prior to printing, people had to like write out books by hand and every manuscript had its own like characteristics of the scribe. Right. Um, and with printing, of course, we know uh, Mark Twain was interested in typewriting. He, he he tried to like he wrote a book just by like recording it at one point. Um, but he was interested in like the technology of writing and, and, and recording words. And of course, printing is the it's not the first technology. We got the codex, we got scrolls, we got all sorts of different, but but it was a breakthrough technology in automating the words. And everything just becomes a copy, right? Everything becomes a copy of the thing before it. So that you lose that individuality. And to the degree, I think Mark Twain is feeling that way about humanity, that human, humans are just sort of copies of each other. They're copies of their culture, right? They're not really capable of, of autonomy right they're just kind of going through the motions of, the, of their life right and and i don't know like to be honest i'm, I'm like preparing a course on psychology which i've been taught before but i've been asked to teach it and i i read through the book and i'm just struck by by how much that seems to be like a theme in like psychology is that we actually are kind of programmed and, and limited. And even like William James talks about how like the way you deal with like psychological problems is you train yourself to behave in different ways, like behavioralism, right? That we are sort of programmed by our actions and things we're used to. And you got imprinting and, you know, the Pavlog stuff, like conditioning. Um, you have all the biological uh, questions about about psychology and, and whatever your model is, it seems we're not that free, right? Which is why I actually decided to assign like Ted Chiang's stories with that class because his stories are all about free will and all that. But um, anyways, that's the deep pessimism here is our, is our, it's just our, our lack of individuality. And I, and I think that's why printing is kind of interesting here because it is some doing the same thing with the written word. Right. Um, because, yes, a scribe doing his job or usually this were men, right, doing his job would copy something word for word exactly. But that's never what actually happened. Right. There's always mistakes and there's marginalia and there's doodles and there's errors and and things like that. And, and that's one thing that's kind of interesting about studying ancient philosophy is all these manuscripts are a little bit different. But you don't get that with with printing. Once you have printing, that kind of that goes away and you still have errors in books, but everyone gets the same error, right? Um, so anyways, the characters here are mostly like apprentices and journeymen of the print shop, along with the master and his family. And you have some clergy in the backdrop because it is a, a medieval um, tale. But the deep conflict at the beginning of the novel 
is between the mystical, the superstitious, the vernacular culture of rural Central Europe, and then you have this kind of modern technology, uh, a culture of reason and progress. And I think number 44, the character, Satan and other versions, is interesting because he kind of puts himself in that same space, being a supernatural being with magical powers and capable of doing things, understanding human nature uh, in a way other people can't, but also very much interested in tech because he kind of comes off as a tech bro often in the, in the story. Um, now, the members of the Printer's Guild, although kind of on the side of modernity in this contrast, are not immune from the superstitions as well, and many of them are not that far removed from the, the religious worldview of, of the Middle Ages either. Um, but they're very self-aware about their importance of their discipline, and they treat it with a kind of reverence, which I think is something we see still with technology. And, and I keep, the more I think about this, the more I think, yeah, there's a lot that could be said. Maybe this is like worthy of a little bit more attention than I'm going to give it today. But it's, it's summer, and I got I to gotta move on from Mark Twain. Um, the master here is closer to a Renaissance figure than a backwards laborer, even an Enlightenment figure. I think um, we have here printing being that step from the Middle Ages to the Enlightenment in a way. Um, and we can break that down, too, if you want. I, I'll just write that's obviously an argument that's been discussed a lot. And I've discussed it a few times in this podcast as well as like how it's the moderns who kind of look down on the Middle Ages and that's not fair to the Middle Ages and their achievements and their ideas and their philosophies and all that. And I, I'm certainly of the opinion that the Middle Ages gets kind of a bad rap by the moderns, by the Renaissance people and by the Enlightenment people. But here's how uh, the master is described. Quote, he was a scholar, a dreamer, a thinker. He loved learning and study. He would have submerged his mind all the days and nights in his books and been pleasantly and peacefully unconscious of his surroundings if God had been willing. Um, his wife also reflects kind of a religious temperament, but was very materialistic, interested above all in making money. Um, and all members of this community really strongly believe in the craft, which is why they're taken aback by the sudden rise of our character, our mysterious stranger, number 44, new series, 8064962 is the full name we have of him. Um, and he rises in this environment. And, and he's also, I think, someone bridging between the, like, the supernatural and presenting himself as, as a very modern person with knowledge of, very deep knowledge of things. And of course he has that because he is, he's essentially Satan, uh, although he's not named that in this version. Um, now, it's his quick rise made possible by clearly supernatural force that leads to the breakdown of this community of, of a very interesting community of worker scholars. Um, and I think that's another interesting aspect of, of scribes. And I, I think also to a degree printing in the early modern period where to be a printer, you had to be a scholar because printers, of course, decided what to print. It, it, was, it was more of a intellectual activity in its own right. Like you would go to a printer, they would read your thing, they would help you edit it, they would set the type. You had to be literate, you had to be knowledgeable, you had to be savvy in the marketplace of ideas. And, and it's a way, it's, it's kind of like early Hollywood, in which you had a lot of 
worker practitioners making things, right? If you think of like early Hollywood, a lot of those films are lost, but it was a much more working class. There's much more working class leadership in the making of films in the early days because it was craftspeople who made a lot of those early films. Those early directors were people who were on the technical side of things. Um, and I think that was the case with the early printing too. Although um, I haven't read too much on that, but I, my, my gut tells me that's, that's the way it was. And certainly that's the case we have here where we have uh, a community of worker scholars. Um, now, when number 44 was promoted from working for room and board to an apprentice, he was asked about his studies and the response from the other workers again reflect the importance of knowledge, language, science, and philosophy to the guild. They valued and a lot of pride resting on this knowledge. And ultimately, of course, we know the impact that this technology of printing is going to have on that culture. They're, they're, they're sowing the seeds of their own destruction in a way, because eventually you're not going to need these types of You're not going to need these skilled workers anymore because it's all just going to be automated away. And from their perspective, number 44 is sort of a scab. He's not part of the guild, right? Um, and when the workers go on strike over number 44's rapid elevation in the guild, um, yeah, in this version in particular, it's it's very much a story of 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 a scab versus a union, right? Um, but you also have, of course, the supernatural events taking place around the character of of number forty four because he's clearly a supernatural being. Um, the most dramatic of that of these events is that during the strike, invisible workers and later duplicates of the guild workers complete the contract and much more efficiently than normal, essentially automating the job. Um, so the fate of the guild is essentially being replaced by what is in, a sense is, in essence machines and automata. And this is paralleling what's going on in industrializing America at the time. Um, this is actually referred to several times through the novel as number 44 has a trans-temporal consciousness. He exists outside of time. He knows history. And he's able to talk about these things with, with characters. And I think in one of the versions, uh, I get a little confused here on some of the versions, but he actually travels characters throughout, throughout time, right? But as these guild members are economically sidelined by number 44, they're also phased out of rel revel rel relevance to the novel itself. Um, and Twain is writing at length here on the replacement of human labor with the labor of the invisibles. The, the entities that number 44 essentially is able to concoct, uh, kind of like robots, essentially. That's what we have here. Um, and this process is, is described in really a post-industrial horror where human labor is unnecessary, absent, and ultimately discarded. So that makes this not just like a philosophical novel about human nature, although that's inherent in what I'm talking about here too, but a, a criticism of industrial society and a criticism of technology, which I think is in contrast to some of the earlier works we saw by Mark Twain, where technology is seen as maybe dangerous and sometimes capable of being misused, but not as like an evil force, not as something associated literally with Satan. So I have a here a quote about that. Um, we were paralyzed. This is about halfway through the story. Um, we were paralyzed. We couldn't get a limb to get away. We couldn't even cross ourselves. We were so nervous. We couldn't even cross ourselves. So again, kind of religious. 
uh, imagery there. We were so nervous and we couldn't look away. The spectacle of those familiar objects drifting about the air unsupported and doing their complex and beautiful work without visible help was so ter terrifying, fa terrifyingly fascinating that we had to look and keep on looking. We couldn't help it. Um, now, who is this accessible to? Well, the master is okay with this because he's getting his contract met. He's getting paid. He's getting paid on the other end of this. But it works to slowly anger and alienate the skilled workers who stood at the heart of the guild. So um, we have the theme of the divided self running throughout this book. The, the self as individual and the self as the automaton. Um, but also we have the divided self of, of the person who, who needs to feel meaning in work, but facing a technology that's going to be dehumanizing eventually for people. Um, now, according to number 44, everyone has a material and a dream self, right? Um, now, the material self is rooted in their work, I suppose, and in the value they create through their labor intellectual labor, right? Um, but the dream self is, is, I guess, the intellectual self. Now, in most fulfilling work, these things are combined, right? Like in the scholar artisans here, the material and the dream self are, are capable of being combined in labor, right? But is that, that's not possible with automation. I think is the point. At least that's how I'm kind of going to read it for you. Uh, another quote. You know, of course, that you are not one person, but two. One is your workaday self and tends to the business. The other is your dream self and has no responsibilities and cares only for romance and excursions and adventures. It sleeps when the other self is awake. When your other self sleeps, your dream self has full control and does as he please. It's far more imaginative than the workaday self. So this is number 44 saying this, but I think he's not being fair here entirely. I, I think that dream self can be reconciled to the workaday self, right? If we are having intellectually fulfilling labor, which of course most of us don't have uh, in industrial society. Um, so, but I guess another way of looking at this, and maybe this is a more positive spin on this, is the we could kind of go the end of work route and say, well, the guild members are facing the end of work. Um, and if we're truthful, number 44 is correct. Work is boring and tedious and damaging to our imagination. And we should hope for a time when our workaday self can be abolished through technology. Right. That was like the Luddites were maybe misguided. And this is another theme I've talked a lot about all the way, especially back to the Philip Dick series I did. In that, you know, technology can be liberatory. I was just talking about this in uh, with Progeny. Um, how I, I think Philip Dick, <coughs> excuse me, um, still got a bit of a cold. I think Philip Dick was wrong in being so hard on technology because a lot of the technologies he didn't like were actually technologies that, that freed up women's labor, like the, the robotic nannies that he hated so much. Well, it's like, if you're not struggling all day raising the kids and cleaning up the poopy diapers and dealing with them crying all the time, you, you, you might think the electronic nanny is kind of undermining your parental role, right? But if your day-to-day -day job is to care for these little brats, you might like the me mechanical 
nanny. It's kind of like the washing machine, right? Um, so this, is the, this has been in my mind another story I, I recently read for another podcast. But while this new automated automation looms here in the story, um, and it certainly is designed to expand the profit of the master here, right, and number 44 is part of that, by destroying them, they destroy the means of, of, of post-scarcity and the end of labor, right? So that's maybe a promising and uplifting message, but I don't think that's really Mark Twain's point. I think Mark Twain does see the end of work here through technology as, a, as, a, as mostly a negative thing. And he associates it with, uh, with number 44, who in other texts is explicitly, we're explicitly told to Satan. So um, anyways, as I said, there are many, there, maybe many is the wrong word, but several different versions of the story, and they're all radically quite different and thematically quite different. I think at the heart of them, they have this, this dual nature of, of humanity and kind of a pessimism about, you know, our ability to maintain ourselves as independent thinking individuals in the face of technology, in the face of, of, of technological progress. So it is kind of a critique of modernity in, in a way like we've seen maybe in Connecticut and King, King and Arthur's Court. But it comes from a Mark Twain who's, who's very, very sarcastic and being very cynical. Um, and, you know, I, I do think it's kind of a shame we didn't kind of get his definitive version. I think, I guess, the Library of America is saying this is the closest. I, I think they probably should have just published them all. Maybe in the short fiction collections, the other versions are in there, too. I, it's been a while since I looked at that. I, I, I kind of want to say they are there, uh, at least some of the shorter ones. But I don't know. We'll, 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 we'll see. Um, I do recommend picking up a version of this. I, I do like this version because it does focus so much on the tech aspects of it. Um, and, and if I get a chance to kind of revisit Mark Twain, we'll talk maybe a little bit more about those other versions. Um, so I guess that's going to be it for now. And that's going to be it for Mark Twain for a while. Um, I want to kind of move on to some other things. So we're going to focus on black writers again for a while um, and then do some women writers. And then maybe I'll finally take on Poe. I don't know. Um, it's been a little bit on my mind, but I don't know. We'll see where it goes. We'll see how I feel in, in six months or so whenever I get, get uh, to the end of what I have sort of sketched out. Um, I'll also be, of course, uh, continuing over the next at least six months or, or, or year reading the rest of Heinlein's works. Um, I'm probably not going to upload too much more over the course of the next month. Uh, I will be reading Heinlein pretty uh, intensively over this month, but I probably won't be too, doing too many recordings. Um, so that's going to be it for now. So if you've read one of the versions of Mysterious Stranger, let me know what you think of it. Um, yeah, and... Um, Share your thoughts with me or send me your comments. Uh, or if you have any thoughts at all about Mark Twain, let me know what you what, the, what they are. Um, I'll see you in a few weeks where we'll start talking about some slave narratives. Uh, maybe Frederick Douglass. Uh, we'll look at Harry Jacobs for sure, Equiano, and some, some others. So uh, thanks for listening. And...